Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And look, we had a relaunch planned. We were all excited for it. We had our brand new editor joining us for the podcast for the first time. And you're still going to get all of that. In about five or so minutes time, you're going to get our reaction to the Aaron Rodgers deal. And you're going to get our whole breakdown of the off-season quarterback market. But then whilst I was on the train home and the guys were getting the new edition of Gridiron ready to go, Russell Wilson gets traded from the Seattle Seahawks to the Denver Broncos, pending medical and pending him waiving his agreement. For an astonishing two first round picks, two second round picks, a fifth and three relatively significant players in what is arguably the most blockbuster trade in, I would say, at least two decades in the NFL and possibly longer as well. And so, of course, we had to jump on and realize that the show was out of date before we'd even released it. Uh, Ollie Connolly, you'll get your nice big introduction shortly, but <laughs> <laughs> first reaction to Russell Wilson now being in the AFC West. It's a wild one. I just cannot believe Seattle pulled the trigger on that specific deal. You know, I'd have been open to a trade if I was them. They were always going to make a decision between the John Schneider Pete Carroll Axis and Russell Wilson. That was at a crossroads. Maybe they could have patched it together for another year. Clearly it was done. And to decide to go with the guy who's going to be 71 years old at the start of next season, they've had five years of shaky defense now. Instead of the 34-year-old quarterback who has been in the, led his team to the, the into the top 10 of efficiency in eight of the past 10 years, which is the route to the playoffs in this day and age, is just baffling when you don't get either three first round picks, four first round picks, something so mind blowing that it's up there with Herschel Walker and or an A plus chip back in the trade as a play. You get Patrick Sertan. You say, no, we want your best young player. We don't want a guy who everyone's tweeting saying, oh, Shelby Harris is a great locker room guy. How does that help you in playoff <laughs> games and you trade a franchise quarterback? Give me a break. You won't be there by the time they'll make the playoffs, right? Get Drew Locke back. You have to get Sertan, Judy, something that hurts them to go. I saw nothing in that deal that didn't just say to Denver as they go into this blind auction of ownership, make us the most expensive franchise in sports history. It's like there's nothing in that deal that hurts Denver. It's amazing that Pete Carroll has used this kind of, this dark moment in the ownership where we're not really sure what's happening in Seattle to essentially force out the best player the franchise has ever had. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Warren Moon, and I'm sorry, Steve Largent, and I'm sorry, like all those kind of legendary uh, Seahawks. Russell Wilson is the best player that's ever been there. It means I can finally start enjoying Russell Wilson as an NFC West fan, <laughs> even though San Francisco go to Denver this year. Of course they do. Um, I, I just think... What's astonishing about it is that you mentioned it. Pete Carroll's 71 years old and hasn't been coaching particularly well the last two or three years. And now you're talking about a full rebuild. Okay, you could go and spend all four of those picks this year, but Seattle traditionally haven't drafted brilliantly at the top end of the draft anyway. They previously spent two first-round picks on a guy who's basically a bad outside linebacker at this point. And yeah. now they're in a... I, I don't... I don't see how they can be competitive this year, whether it's Jordan Love that we talk about a lot on the show, whether they draft one of these guys coming in. I cannot see how they're a competitive side this year. No, and and, and they have this odd mystique about their ability to find players still hung over from the idea of finding Wagner and getting the Legion of Boom all together. And it's like, do you really give someone credit for finding a fifth round pick? It was a wide receiver in college. I, I just don't know how much of that is just a complete fluke. And you look at the last seven years, instead and it's terrible and they just miss constantly and they misappropriate first round picks and they miss in the middle of the draft a bunch and if you even go back even further signing charlie whitehurst signing matt flynn 
John Schneider and P. Carroll have not proven to be good at this. So I was always against any idea, really, of trading him for the idea of get them loads of draft picks because they've just never proven to use them effectively anyway. It's just, it really is baffling. You know, if he'd come out and burnt the house down and said that I want out no matter what, it cannot work, then you look at all possible deals. But it, that does not really appear to be the case. It, it seems like they found a deal, he was cool with it. And so they've made a deal kind of that everyone thought would help all sides. But I just don't see how in any way this helps Denver. The, the, the no trade clause makes it a bit more difficult because Russell Wilson has to agree with where he's going to go. I do get that. But apparently, there's the, the reports are this evening that there were deals from a dozen or so teams getting in touch with them. And so you have to think that either those teams were so astonishingly bad that Russell Wilson thought at 33, 34 years old, I can't go and win with them over the next five years. Or they just didn't offer anywhere near what Denver offered, which isn't, you know, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, Drew Locke, none of them are setting the world alight. I like Shelby Harris a lot, but he's not a player that makes the big difference of the franchise. The picks, I mean, they've actually swapped a fourth and a fifth, so it's really just the two firsts and the two seconds. I don't know. That's, I mean, I've said it already. I can't, I I can't believe the Eagles, the Eagles didn't put all three firsts this year on just to get it done. That that's the one where I'm like, if, if that's true, and then he could have gone to the NFCs, did they not want to trade him in the NFC? I, I Maybe. I don't know. I do not know. And speaking of the NFC, by the way, what a mess that playoff picture is. Seven teams from the <laughs> NFC have to go to the playoffs next year. It's, they, they need to change the league bylaws and say, bleep it. We cannot allow this TV product to go ahead with seven playoff teams. Go through those QB situations. That is a travesty. That's astonishing. It makes me feel good about Trey Lance for this year, actually having uh, real opportunities with everything else in San Francisco. Rams fans have to be absolutely elated. Uh, and the AFC, from their perspective, as much as th- there is a possibility here, and I don't, I don't think it's likely, I do think it was scheme, I do think it was fit, I do think it was coaching, but Russell Wilson hasn't played well the last two years, as much as the situation around him hasn't been great. He's, when I say not well, not to the outstanding level we've seen him play in recent years, but I mean, in my mind, I'm like, can I justify this? Is Russell Wilson going to turn for me a busted flush? I just don't see that either. <laughs> no, I don't see that. The thing that is interesting is we don't know an awful about a lot about Nathaniel Hackett running his own show. It, it, there's no real like Hackettism that we know of. Yeah. How much of his was input with LaFleur? It really seems like the grand philosophy, which we actually go into in, in the show coming up was a LaFleur Rogers creation and Hackett was a game plan guy. Take us from Monday to Thursday from these big picture ideas we have. So then that's, that's really important. That's some would say the most important. We can all, you know, think up big stuff on the whiteboard. Someone's actually got to go and and implement it for you. So that is crucial, but we don't know what his kind of design is going to be. It's not like you're getting someone off the McVeigh tree where it's like, they definitely run this style. What we've found with Russell Wilson is, no matter how many times they've changed OC every year, right? Seattle fans change the OC, change the OC, let Russ cook. It's always the same offense. You can look at the heat maps from year to year. It's the exact same overlay. No matter who's calling plays, no matter who's on the roster, it's the Russell Wilson offense. And the key point is he never throws in the middle of the field ever. He finished 34th among eligible quarterbacks last year in throws over the middle of the field. He hates it. 
It's a meme at this point. And so that really constricts your offense. You've, you're throwing into very tight windows. You, the, the margin of, of error is so small when you take away the middle of the field. And as good as he is throwing down the field, as good as he is attacking outside the numbers, it really constricts things when you just take away that big chunk in the middle of the field. So I'm fascinated to see how the, that dynamic works between the two. They've got all those great weapons. He's still brilliant. I think it, it was purely the thumb injury, I think, last season when he came back from that. But that piece of how will he age? Can you age gracefully? If you cannot throw down the middle of the field, throw down the field as well anymore, because he has not thrown down the field as well the last two years, and you refuse to throw in the middle of the field, that just constricts everything. Fascinated to see, I mean, that division uh, uh, from a starting point with Herbert and the Chargers and with Patrick Mahomes, of course, and the the Chiefs as successful as they've been. And, and he, I mean, the Raiders coming almost out of nowhere. I don't think Gary anyone good, them man. to be as good as they were last year. And Carr had his best year since, what, year two? The team overall played incredibly well, considering everything they went through. And then you mentioned already, the NFC looks like an absolute dumpster fire. But the AFC, I mean, when you start bringing in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and everything else going on in that conference, man, it's exciting. It's crazy because all those young guys, we just forget about Wilson for one second, the, the median age of those guys is a 24, I think. So if they all play till Rogers' MVP year, his second year, that's 14 years, right? So all those guys, Lamar, Mahomes, Herbert, uh, Allen, Burrow, right? Now you drop Russell Wilson there, you mentioned Derek Carr, it's just, it's going to be a bloodbath. And it's going to be a bloodbath for year after year. And I, I really thought that, if uh, Watson, Rogers, Wilson approved trades, it would be to navigate to the best possible NFC situation. I did not think that they would necessarily go into particularly that AFC West spot. I thought that'd be a real demerit for Denver trying to pull off one of these deals, but they got it done. People like living in Denver. It, 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 it's been proven over time, right? That <laughs> Something about this idea, we just have always assumed they would get one because of the Peyton situation. There's just something about that place that everyone goes, oh yeah, that they'll always just get a good quarterback to go there. I'm kind of amazed they were able to talk him into this, given the uncertainty with ownership and all that. Maybe that was a part of it. Like you will be a big power player in the building because when you come in, they'll be like, wow, we have Russell Wilson and we spend all this draft capital. So you will actually be able to have say in personnel and this type of things, no matter who is owning the team. Yeah. For that reason, the parallels to the Peyton Manning deal are much closer than just a guy going to try and win a second championship or, you know, with Russell Wilson's age, potentially two or three more if they go on a real successful run. Uh, honestly, for him, I think it's the best thing for his legacy with where Seattle are right now. I do not see the Seahawks being competitive and I'm excited to see Denver this year. But we can't get too in-depth in all of that because we've got another 45 minutes of podcast still to come. So just to caveat it, uh, we have removed the Russell Wilson part of the chat, mainly because... Both me and Simon Clancy say that we don't think that there's any way Seattle trade him. So we did it to stop ourselves from looking stupid. But there will be other moments where Denver come up in conversation. Just keep in mind that when we talk about them being like a landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously that's off the table now. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. We'll do the proper introductions and everything coming up. Uh, and yeah, get in touch. Acridine on Twitter. Blockbuster stuff. Uh, I hope you enjoy the next 45 minutes or so. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. We are back and we're back for real this time properly. I know there's been a few attempted reboots of the show, but this is this is the one. And it's the one because not only uh, are we back for the start of a new offseason, building up to the NFL draft, but we're back with new talent involved as well. I'm Will Gavin. I'm here as always. Simon Clancy uh, is with us. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. 
Award-winning Simon Clancy is with us as well. We were at the SJA's last night where he won Best Audio Documentary for Defiance, which if you've not listened to it, go and listen to it. There you go. I've given you a plug already. Thanks, mate. Uh, but we are also joined by the new editor of Gridiron. You probably, and if you don't, should already follow him on social media. Maybe you subscribe to the Substack already. He's now part of the Gridiron family. Ollie Connolly is with us as well. Ollie, welcome. Uh, with open arms, we bring you into this ragtag bunch. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good here. I was thinking like today would be like the, the biggest NFL transactional announcement, my joining the, the gridiron family. And I was gazumped only slightly by the <laughs> finest quarterback, perhaps of his generation. Hey, look, I, I felt slightly bad that I had to delay the recording of the podcast by an hour and not just because of the hangover from the aforementioned awards. Uh, but it turns out it's the best thing that could have ever happened because it would have been deemed completely irrelevant <laughs> if we had done it at three o'clock instead of four thirty. We'd literally have had to have stopped and re-recorded it because Aaron Rodgers has signed a whopping four-year, $200 million deal, $153 million guaranteed. But we're going to get into all of that in a moment. Uh, first of all, just to explain to you the new show, the new format. We're going to be doing a weekly show throughout the off-season, released early in the week, and then a whole bunch of bonus content. Because Ollie Connolly is going to be going out there, and all those people who seem to respect this man greatly from America are going to be giving him all sorts of fantastic interviews, and we're going to be getting you those out on the channel as well. So if you don't already subscribe, as your first time listening, for the sake of the stuff that Ollie's bringing to the table, it's worth getting in on the ground level, right? Sound like I'm trying to sell a pyramid scheme, but I'm I'm kind of all right. I'm with buying. That. I'm buying. Good. I'm glad. Uh, and look, we're really pleased that Ollie is involved and the Substack's involved and that we're getting him done with Gridiron as well. The new edition of Gridiron is, by the way, on its way. It's a beauty. And I've seen the cover and I've kind of dipped into a bit of it where I probably not meant to, but it got posted in the group. And yeah, it's it's a good one from out at the Super Bowl uh, where Simon went for the first time. And I've got to ask that first of all, Simon, before we get into Rogers. You, you recovered from LA yet? Yeah, you... I mean, it was it, never having been to a Super Bowl and pretty much done every other major sporting event in the world, which isn't a boast. It sounds really wanky, Felt like but it, it isn't. I oh, know, sorry. Clang. Um, <laughs> it was amazing, actually. Like, the whole experience was amazing, not just the game. It was a great game, but the stadium was just like a spaceship had landed in the middle of the Inglewood, which is not perhaps the most um, salubrious part of Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, the stadium was wicked. The halftime show was insane. The game was pretty decent. Atmosphere was, a, and what you don't pick up on TV, the noise and the atmosphere is so much louder when you're in the stadium than it is when you're there. Um, but yeah, it was it was magic. It was really good fun. Absolutely. And I got to share it with you, Willie. So that's you know. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Uh, that wasn't us rubbing it in, Ollie. You'll be there with us next year. That's the point. We'll see. If you're good. We'll see. If yeah. You're good. yeah, well, we, if you're still working for us in, uh, in 12 months, I'm working for us. Listen to me <laughs> as if I have any say on this whatsoever. Rupert Murdoch over there. <laughs> right, let's get into it then. The whole the show we're going to be doing across the, the weeks, we're going to be taking one big question every week and, and addressing it in the show. And we're starting off with the quarterbacks. It's an off-season that's going to be absolutely packed with speculation, rumour, obviously quarterbacks going in the draft as well, but one big chip has already fallen. Uh, the Packers quarterback and MVP Aaron Rodgers agreeing to those terms on a four-year deal. His cap number actually going down for this year. It's a huge commitment to Green Bay for years to come. Uh, Ollie, I'm going to come to you first on this uh, Aaron Rodgers, at least this has happened nice and early and we don't have to deal with another, you know, four to eight weeks of is he, isn't he? Well, nice and early from his 
self-imposed timeline, but it has been two years of America's most annoyed man re-upping with the place where he claimed to have been annoyed by every single thing where they built him a consistent winner over the last 10 years. So there's there's so many diverging thought, thoughts here. I mean, if you can re-sign the back-to-back MVP, you do it no matter the price. You can always push things down the line. You can do the Mahomes half a billion and do it in kind of one giant offer and always be moving it if you want to do it that way. You can do it this way where you guarantee one figure, claim it's another larger figure, and again, tweak it as you go down the line and figure out, do you want to get paid up front, tweak the roster bonuses and just always be manipulating the cap down the line. So for Green Bay, obviously, it makes a ton of sense. It brings Jordan Love into play. Um, so from that standpoint, it it makes all the sense in the world. And like you said, I'm just thankful that we don't have to to listen to, to more of the moaning from the man himself. Oh, my life's so hard. I've got one of the weeks. best starting left tackles in the league. I've got the number one receiver in the league. I've got the leading touchdown scorer in the lead in my backfield. Oh, it's so difficult, Simon. Yeah, the two-headed monster in run game. You can play zone. You can play gap power with... Uh, with uh, those two backs, you've got you know a really good defense, uh, really improving secondary, especially with Eric Stokes coming on so well down the stretch. So, and, and they've signed Rich Passaccia to take over that absolutely horrendous special teams unit. So, I mean, there's not a lot to moan about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the interesting play and uh, and Ollie just mentioned it there is what happens to Jordan Love. You know, a massively depreciated asset. I was just looking actually the um, the pre-draft visits that he had or virtual visits because obviously COVID was in place. Uh, you know, in, more strictly than it is now. Well, with the Packers, the Saints, obviously in the market for a quarterback with a new head coach, uh, the Raiders, who are, look look like they're going to be offering Derek Carr a new contract, the Chargers, who are obviously sorted at quarterback, the Dolphins, who feel like they're going to give two or at least one more year under Mike McDaniel, and the Colts, who still have the same Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, who were there at the time operating those FaceTime meetings that they had with Jordan Love. So you wonder, you know, a couple of early third day picks maybe i mean a fourth and a fifth or a late three and a five or something probably would get that done for i, I, I think i think you're still looking at a two I, I doubt you could i think they just roll it another year with him if they had to and sit him down for another year and keep it a two and you see what happens midway through the year a fourth and a fifth does just does absolutely nothing for you i think either that they need to go and get an asset that allows them to go get a player yeah. that can win a championship this year and you um Indy's the fascinating one there. They were the, the team that everyone knew was so high on Jordan Love mm. going into that draft. They were just so in love with him. If they don't want to, well, they they want to obviously eject from the Carson Wentz situation. A two doesn't seem that steep a price for them to just say, look, bleep it. Let's just go and have a run at this thing again. We've already sunk the, the Carson to Carson Wentz. It's not that expensive to send the two in. In this current quarterback climate where what is the other plan? Go and get Jameis Winston for a year. It's it's the only viable play you have on the board right now for any of these teams, but particularly someone like Indy where they have a core in place where they could go and win their division next season, where it's like, okay, this might be an upgrade short term, might not be, has a real chance to be one medium term. And then if we hit, then it's a, it's a great long-term fix for the cost of a second round pick. So if I'm Green Bay, I'm saying nothing but a second. Then if no one wants to, to talk in the off season, no problem. We'll wait week four, week five, see what the injury situation is again, like Fitzpatrick in Washington last year. I would not just be doing a deal just to get a deal done and get some kind of some, yeah. some crappy picks and, out of it. And it's not just that as well, but it's the contract. It's You compare him with the other guys who are going to maybe be out and available for trade. And I know we're going to run through some of those, but it's the fact that you've still got two years on a rookie deal and he's a first round pick as well. So you have that option to extend him the extra year. 
all of those things feed into that you'd give up a bit more draft capital because he doesn't hurt you in all the other areas that trading for one of these big names is going to, which is always what's astounded me about people like Wilson and Rogers being touted is that the kind of teams will pay three first round picks for them probably probably need other stuff as well and they're not going to be able to with cap pit and they're not going to be able to do it in the draft and that's why it makes a hell of yeah, a lot of sense and i think i think indy's just the perfect landing spot you know inside with a with a a guy like Frank Reich at the helm, you know, Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds don't strike me as people who would be potentially trigger shy in terms of pulling the trigger if it was a second, like Ollie says. And, you know, Ursay uh, just wants to win at any, pretty much any cost. <laughs> I know they feel, you know, I know they feel... More videos outside his private plane, please. Yeah, I know they feel a little bit hard done by in the Wentz situation, that it just didn't play out the way they hoped and the fact they had to cough up the first round pick. Um but look, if you want to be special, then I suppose sometimes you've just got to push the boat out. And they've got, like Ollie says, they've got that um, that hardcore of uh, of players. And, you know, they're not that far away, um, certainly from winning the division and then pushing on into the playoffs because they've, the, they've got the talent there. You look at the Jonathan Taylors and the Quentin Nelsons and defensively with Darius Leonard and, and all those guys. So, yeah, you, you know, if... Um, if he was available for a second, then would they pull the trigger? It feels like they're the sort of front office that would do it. Um, I'm not sold whether or not. I'm not 100 percent sure that I agree with the new editor that that's the, you know that's the <laughs> price. But you know we shall see. You wait until I tell you that we're going to get a second for Jimmy it's Garoppolo. A, yeah, so. Then you'll then you'll be really rolling in the aisles. It's a quarterback league, and it's a team that I could see doing it, given that they you know they seem to get it right most years. Ballard is a great GM, so I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> He's one of those players where I think teams will be really happy that they got to have a look at him because going through the Chiefs game where he did not play well, it was very evident that any notion of him sitting and developing just did not happen between college and then. He's the same guy he was then. The flaws, particularly in that game, are massively just mental-based stuff. He has no concept of protections. He got his clock completely cleaned in that Chiefs game, had no idea what he was doing, panicked. So he has to go to a team where he's completely removed from all that stuff, where it's predefined things like Frank Reich does or the center does it for him. And in Green Bay, the quarterback does absolutely everything. Yeah. So it, it, someone like New Orleans now, who may still be on the board, might tweak things a little bit if he came in. That it kind of moves them out of it a little bit because they ask the quarterback to do everything. Whereas in Indianapolis, the center does absolutely everything for them. So you're looking at it and saying, okay, cool. We know that there's limitations there now. He's not going to be a guy we didn't think he would be, but still has the arm talent, can still play on the move. It's still just a guy who can go get you buckets on third down when you need to. Cool. That to us in this market, it's just a market situation. Would you want to give a second round pick for him? Probably not. A third would probably be, be value, right? But it's the market. You know, if there was a bunch of other guys out there you're excited about, you'd be like, okay, we'll wait for the third. Otherwise, you're saying a second that a lot of seconds turn out to be bad players, or you go inside Mitchell Trubisky. I'd rather just take the chance with the second. <laughs> and, and actually, New Orleans is the other, is another interesting one to me, because while it might not be schematically uh, necessarily an immediate fit, there is that element. It, I'm coming back to it again, but the contract, they are a team in absolute cap hell. They want to keep hold of guys like uh, Cam Jordan. Uh, There's a lot of elements of that defence they want to keep hold of. It looks like they're going to lose to an Armstead this offseason, although I think the injury... Over the injuries over the last few years mean that that's probably a, a decision they would have made anyway. But uh, you know, if you can get a guy who might be your starter for a couple of million a year, you do it. Yeah, and Ollie nailed it earlier on when he said about Indy just being one of the teams that were you know really in for him, and they really were. And I just think you know, like we said, with Frank Reich in a small media city where there's not a huge amount of pressure, he's not going to New York, he's not going to Dallas, he's not going to LA. Do you know what I mean? It's like a 
you know, Indy is a good football town to go and not kind of hide away, but get out of the spotlight just a little bit. You're not, you know, you're not going to be on the back pages every single week uh, with with whatever you do. So I think that's a really good fit if um, if they can pull that off, regardless of the price. Let's just take a look. The other teams who are going to be looking for a quarterback this off-season, I think there's some some clear ones at, at the very top of the class. Nathaniel Hackett isn't going to get his guy in Denver. They need the answer there, but it looks like a roster that with a quarterback could go and start winning immediately, even in there's tougher AFC, uh, Washington, uh, Pittsburgh. Who do they? Are they really? Are they really buying into this idea that Mason Rudolph's going to be the starter when, when we saw him for a significant amount of time a few years ago, people wanted Duck Hodges to start in front of him. Like that doesn't suggest to me he's a starting quarterback for you. Got the Lions still, the Jared Goff situation, and then kind of guys on the outside. Bucks without Tom Brady. The Falcons, you know, need a replacement for Matt Ryan. His cap hit's ridiculous, and he's not going to be around forever. The Texans and Deshaun Watson, the Browns, do they keep hold of Baker Mayfield? Like, There's lots, and this feels like a season where there's more quarterback questions than there's any other point, Ollie. Yeah, the, you've got a, a giant portion of the league needing a quarterback. You've got wide-open divisions. You've got, you've got people waiting, saying, well, if we get the quarterback, then look at us go. And you've had these teams and these GMs brief for I don't know, two years now being like, well, we're building the core, then we'll go get the quarterback. And then I think there was this center on the league that we were moving into this new era because we had all this talk of player empowerment and maybe you'll, there'll be Russell Wilson traded and Aaron Rodgers traded and Deshaun Watson hanging out there. And that we might get this kind of one year to one year team building approach like Brady did when he went to the books and said, okay, one last ride. And maybe, you know, you get the succession of veteran guys jumping onto a team for one last ring Stafford, you know, moving his way out of Detroit, would Matt Ryan have done that and said, okay, I'll just go get a ring somewhere and then maybe I'll come back home at some point. And that just hasn't really been the case. It doesn't look like it's going to be the offseason at all. So you've got all these teams who've kind of built these great cores and we all talk ourselves into that Washington core is really talented. If they could just find a quarterback and then you wake up today and Rogers signs his big deal and you start looking at the list of guys who are available and it's going to be Marcus Mariota and, and trying to gamble on him. It's going to be, is Ryan Fitzpatrick in any way healthy? It's going to be someone is going to give a big contract to Mitchell Trubisky. Mm. It's going to blow everyone's mind. The contract is going to be 50 million a year to sign Mitchell Trubisky and we're all going to be like we're all going to know the second happens that is not a good deal what are we doing and they'll be drafting in the in the top three in two years but that's where it's at there's just not enough quarterbacks to go around for rosters that are good it's not like these are teams that have detonated it and you know really ripped the thing down these teams know they're good so there's this really antsy feeling of can we cash in while we're good and if we don't, then we all lose our jobs when we actually did a decent job building the thing kind of throughout the roster. And there's so many question marks as well about quarterbacks in the draft as well. You know, it's just it's a really interesting class, but it's not a particularly good class. And obviously for those teams, Washington, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Indianapolis, you know, it's do you waste, in inverted commas, do you spend a first round pick on somebody that, you, you know, in most years wouldn't be a first round pick? You know, and you see people like Desmond Ritter coming out of the, out of the senior bowl. Um, you know, and looks like he might end up in the back end of the first round a little, a little bit like Lamar Jackson did a few years ago. So it, it's such a big question mark for teams because do you move forwards with the Mitchell Trubisky? Do you give Marcus Mario to the reins for a year, knowing that you know you're essentially it's essentially a stopgap, and you're going to be you know your fan base is going to be complaining. It's not going to be a great year. Um, schematically, what's the fit? You know, for for you mentioned it earlier on, do, do Pittsburgh really want to move forwards with Mason Rudolph? I, I don't see any any scenario where the Steelers would want to move forwards with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. It's so, you know, it's just a huge. 
uh, and we kind of entered into this period where we thought Rogers may be on the move. Russell Wilson's going to get traded. The Sean Watson thing will sort itself out. Jimmy Garoppolo now is kind of, you know, what's going to happen with Matt Ryan? Does, does somebody like Nathaniel Hackett, do they look at somebody like Matt Ryan? Does Matt Ryan almost do what Matt Stafford did and say, you know, I've, I've given so much good service here, but we're clearly not going to, you know, we're clearly not going to win the division. We're clearly not going to win the Super Bowl. Can I be allowed to leave and have one last shot? And whether that is Pittsburgh, whether that is Atlanta, um, um, whether that is um, Denver. Um, so it's going to be, I think it'll be really interesting, but I don't think it'll be the blockbuster off-season when it comes to quarterbacks that we thought it might. I think it might be the second-tier guys that, that move around. I'm fascinated in whether the thinking, because people who know more than I do, of which there's at least two on this call already, are telling me that the 2023 quarterback draft, assuming people come out and everything else, it looks like it could be a very, very good one. You know, does somebody like Pittsburgh go, right, let's do it. Let's stick with Mason Rudolph for a year on the idea we can get somebody next year. I just don't think you can do that. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. To uh, I, I think it's a really interesting play. I just don't think you can, you, you know, quarterback talent can deprete, you know, guys could have maxed out. They could get injured. They could stay in college, all, all sorts. So you look at, you know, you look at Bryce Young, you look at CJ Stroud, you look at Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, you look at Will Levis at Kentucky and Grayson McCall and, you know, all these guys and you think, yeah, perfect, let's just wait a year. And actually, you just don't know what's going to happen because, I mean, how many times have we seen it over the last few years that a Kyler Murray, that a Baker Mayfield, you know, all these guys have come from, a, a Joe Burrow have come from, Kenny Pickett, you know, have come from virtually nowhere, you know, from late round or almost free agency or free, uh, you know, undrafted free agents to become, you know, first overall picks or top five picks or whatever. You just, I just don't think... You know, and then guys will turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to stay in school because I want to get my degree or I want to do this or I want to do that. So you just can't. I just think it's such a difficult decision for teams like the Saints, for teams like the Steelers, when you have, you know, I mean, do you really want to? Do the Saints really want to move forward with Taysom Hill? I can't see any scenario that you'd want to. You know, yeah, and, you're, the, and you're wasting the best years of that defense, Ollie. The punt it down the road philosophy is one of the most hilarious that people yeah. ever bring up. Yeah, it's a complete fan creation. It, it makes no logical. It's like a it's a Madden thing. It's like, why don't we go into work every day where it sucks and we'll probably all get fired at the end of it so the next staff can draft someone we think is better than the guys that are available to us. It just it makes absolutely it's miserable to lose. You know, it's only a 18 week season, but they have to go into the building every day. And it, that's really not fun when you know you're actively making yourself not competitive. And yes, there's the idea that it's just not the NBA where you can pinpoint, all right, okay, that guy is going to be great. And then we can maybe prepare ourselves for in two years time to get to the top of that class because Zion Williamson is going to be there. And he wasn't even the top recruit in his class. It just doesn't, none of these guys are surefire situations. Then you can get to, we positioned ourselves perfectly and, oh, Tua Tagovailoa blows out his hip when no one expects it late in the season. It it just doesn't work that way. Look at the NBA now, and Jar Morant is clearly the best player out of that class. You know, it's like, but you, you, Zion was was the guy. The guy. And the other thing is, and you know, it, it happened with the Dolphins. How do you as a head coach and a general manager sign off on, Going to fifty-three players, professional players who are earning lots of money, who are and let's let's make no bones about it, who are risking their futures in terms of their physical and mental health. You know, because we've seen what's happened over the last ten years in the development of things like concussion and the, uh, and CT and those sorts of things. How do you go into a locker room and say, you know what, guys, we're going to punt this to next season? You just can't do it. That's what <laughs> but, was going to happen. But with you the do have thing. you do have teams who do do that longer term. When the Detroit Lions go and trade Matt Stafford for Jared Goff, and this year they can't. Next year they have an out. They can but cut him into ten million. Ever space, walked into but... that locker room and said to the guys, you know. What guys, you know, we, we, <laughs> well, I'm sure Dan Campbell did not do that. We all know the kind of man look he how is. They but played. 
you know, they were in games. I know their re- their record doesn't, you know, their record is their record, but they were. It wasn't like they were getting blown out. They were in games to the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. They could have easily, you know, five or six of those games could have gone the other way. And it was the same with the Dolphins. You know, you, you look now, and there's the rumours. You know, a lot of talk about how many picks Stephen Ross offered Duke Tobin and, and the Bengals in terms of trying to trade up for for Joe Burrow. That you know, the Dolphins were going to tank for Tua. And then it went tits up because they won five games. And, uh, you know, they beat the Bengals at home in a game that sort of, you know, probably wouldn't have decided that first overall pick anyway because the Dolphins had already won too many games. But they, you know, they moved themselves out of the conversation for the first pick. I just don't think you can do it. It's just there are so many things that could go so badly wrong. And you just, you know, and also for a new GM in Pittsburgh, as there will be, you know, how do you ever sign off on that as your first pick? How, how do you turn up and have the first losing season under Mike Tomlin? Uh, as your first season in charge like yeah it's it's astonishing the, the, the league moves too fast you don't know that you're going to be good the next year it's just that simple you might we see this all the time you've got people just penciling oh they have a good defense so then they'll fall they'll have one in two years time as we try to patchwork together what the long-term approach is defense is never stable year to year usually you become really bad unless you have hall of famers at every level or bill belichick those have been the only steadying forces for the last 15 years in the NFL, it's just not plausible to ever say we know we'll be good at certain things in two years' time, so we'll go and identify quarterbacks in that draft class. You just have to take as many darts to the dartboard as possible, figure out the one you like the best in the moment, hope it hits, and if it doesn't, then you go back to the board and you hope you were good enough to not get fired by your owner. So with that in mind, what about the other guys that are out there? I mean, the Sean Watson situation continues to be insanely murky, and I still can't understand that there's any team that want to touch him with a 10-foot barge pole until any of that's cleared up. And with there being civil lawsuits involved, that might be still another year, two years down the line, potentially. Just a quick note on Deshaun Watson as well that you mentioned, that the Eagles, um, which I thought was quite interesting, and the Panthers, sent uh, investigators down into Houston to sort of dig to the bottom of this disgustingly murky story. And, um, you know, so there clearly is interest. But like you say, I, you know, I don't know what you think, Ollie, but I just can't see any team signing off on... It's amazing what people will do when there's talent there, really. But the-, uh, yeah, the, the timeline is at uh, the moment is basically a month. There is a pretty significant date coming in a month that yeah. we'll, we'll know whether there's going to be a grand jury indictment basically against him. And from that point, we'll know whether he is still considered a football player or it's then just a criminal matter and he just won't be in the league anymore. You know, it, it's basically that simple. So I think assignment in there what they're doing is getting a ducks in a row where if the grand jury chooses not to indict him then he's available in you know as long as they've signed off on whatever they've done in their background research as the the dolphins went through right they tried to talk through could they help uh, mediate some of the litigation stuff themselves between some of the uh, accusers and, and deshaun watson's camp so i assume that background intel is still happening and then we'll find out that decision which is in about three weeks time now and then we'll kind of have more information about whether he's on the board or not. I mean, Matt Ryan, I don't see Jared Goff this offseason. He's been kind of put on the list here, but just with that 31 million cap I, hit. I think I think Goff's in play. I, if, if, they, if they use the second first round pick on a quarterback and then shop Goff, I mean, I know what you're saying, that it might be tough for someone's going to get left at the altar here without a quarterback who thinks they're really good. That's the difference. It's not like it's going to just be, or someone who's desperate. I mean, Matt Rule is getting fired. Everyone knows it. He knows it. He's well aware. He, today, as we sit, is fired. His only chance to not be fired is to massively upgrade his offensive line to find a quarterback that makes the owner happy. Now, that probably is not Jared Goff, but he will definitely take the swing if he can do uh, at some point. So, uh, you know, someone's going to get left holding the bag here. 
of having a good roster and a bad quarterback. And I could see someone saying, bleep it, let's let's send a third round pick for Jared Goff and the Lions take Desmond Ritter at the back of the first round or something like that. Yeah, I could see the Lions trading back up into the first round to take it because I just don't see the massive run on quarterbacks. And I think early in the second round you're gonna you may well find a Desmond Ritter, a Sam Howell you know, a guy like that early in the second round that Detroit could, you know, somehow really fits perfectly in terms of that blue collar mentality that Detroit and that, that that Dan Campbell is building. It's the sort of thing where I could see Brad Holmes bringing in a, you know, a, a or keeping Goff, but probably bringing in a guy who's probably going to start. You know, that might be a Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody like that who's going to start for six games and do what he did with Tour in terms of just helping him bring along, be a sort of coach on the field and a coach off the field to a guy like Howell, and then just you know trying to build around him in terms of weapons, adding to, you know, guys like Amon Russell Brown and, and Hawkinson and, and, and guys DeAndre Swift, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me because, you know, there's no way six or seven quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. So it may be that you'll have a chance to get a Howell or, a, a, you know, a Carson Strong or a Matt Corral early in the second round when Detroit are picking because I think it's going to be very hard for them to pass on, you know, if Aiden Hutchinson makes it or if Travon Walker's there or, you know, guys like that, even K, uh, even Thibodeau, you know, um, so yeah, I think that I, I could actually, I could absolutely see that happen. There you go, uh, Kirk Cousins is also on our list here, which you know it depends on what Kevin O'Connell sees, depends on Otto Fomenza as well, and what they decide to do in Minnesota. But is that worth a reload? And then Jimmy Garoppolo, who I mean, from people I've spoke to in and around the organization, either cover the team or, or know it, their understanding is that he is done there, despite all these kind of latest conversations that they might try and keep him around for a year. It's a cap friendly deal that he's on at the moment you know a that you can bring him in for a year and then cut him for nothing um and i joked about it earlier but i still think there's going to be a team out there and the obvious ones the likes of pittsburgh denver who are going to see a guy who has a winning record as a starter who's taken a team to a super bowl and to an nfc championship game and are going to see despite the regular mental errors that he makes think oh with our roster and with my coaching this guy can take us. And I do think they become a contender. I don't think they necessarily win a championship, but I, I, I'd be astonished if, you know, San Francisco get offered a low second, high third if they don't take it. Yeah, and there's so much of this that I think gets missed sometimes, particularly by the top decision makers, is the day-to-day of what it's like to work and not do the chessboarding of moves and roster building. Like, a lot of these coaches who have been hired over the last two years are quarterback guys. They want to work with a quarterback who can process everything, who can get on the whiteboard properly, and, and all that stuff that you hear about pre-combine and how guys go through the evaluation process. They don't want to have to be spending their first year as a head coach having to teach a young guy all kinds of minutia. It would be much easier for them for Nathaniel Hackett for year one to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo and be able to communicate with him on such a level where it's winks and nods and they they understand everything together. They're speaking a common language and it's not so much of an education process as they try and build out the organization however they want it to look moving forward unless it is someone that they think is so supremely talented. And that guy just doesn't exist in the draft class unless you're huge on Malik Willis. And that would be a multi-year kind of project for you to get into, which would happen more behind the scenes. So I think Garoppolo is going to have real high value because of his scheme versatility and that every team will be able to picture in their offense a way to have Garoppolo manufacture some kind of success. It's It's got to be scheme-based. You can't have him think too much. You have to have him either getting the ball out quick or you, know, you see how much better he is when he's in two-minute drill situations as a majority, barring the end of the season, because he doesn't have to overthink things, because he doesn't have to, you know, he just does what 
well, previously what Shanahan told him and gets it done. He can execute. He can't throw outside the numbers for Toffee, but I, yeah, from my perspective, he's also very... I think it's more the, the inverse, really. I mean, he had 16 interceptions in the middle of the field between 10 and 20 yards last year. He is so limited that the offense around him is so constricted because he cannot throw to a specific portion of the field, which is where you score points in the NFL. That's his, that's his problem. That's why he looks so limited. And it's like, oh, wow. When you see him throw in the relief and the build and the, the smile, you're like, this guy looks like a quarterback. And then when they're in the two minute deal, like you said, Will, it's like, what, this guy, is this guy good? And we're all looking at ourselves like, this guy might be good. And then it's like, why did they never score points though? Because he can't throw the ball in the middle of the field at the most valuable, uh, valuable portion. So I, there's such limitations to him that that's a, that's a good point. It's just every single coach thinks they can coach around stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, they, they would rather have, have one known giant limitation like that than have to deal with all kinds of smaller things and go through all the James situation. It's part of the reason why um, it's part of the reason why the 49ers are so good as a yak offense is because of exactly what Ollie said. You know, you bring in players who are great after the catch, Samuel, Kittle, etc., etc. And it's but, because you know the limitations of your quarterback. At the same time, and this is something that Greg Cosell said to us on Radio Row, and if he believes it, I believe it, is generally my rule when it comes to Greg Cosell. Yards after catch in college are to do with the talent catching the ball, but in the NFL, it's about Excuse where the ball is placed, and that's the quarterback. I, like, I mean, I <clears throat> he's never going to be a top-tier NFL quarterback, but I think for a team like Pittsburgh, why do I find myself defending him again? I don't think there's a lot to defend, and I think you made the point. And, and I think a lot of fans look at things and go, "Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo," but you know, like you said, he went to a Super Bowl and was one and a half yards away from winning it on the deep ball that that he missed. Yeah, he missed it, but he's you know, he got to and the had NFC, George Kittle open for a first he got down. To the NFC, fine, yeah, he got to the NFC Championship by taking teams on the road. He beat the number one seed on the road. You know, he is not a bad quarterback. There are significantly worse quarterbacks in the NFL than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think for a team that is looking to develop a young guy and come in with a veteran team that has a chance of making a run, there are certainly worse options in the league. One thing I just want to make, the Jordan Love thing, and I'm not, you know, it's Ollie's first show, so I'm going to defer to that second round <laughs> thing that he said earlier. One point I will make that, that plays in that favour is that Kenny Pickett, who's probably the most pro, who is the most pro-ready quarterback in this draft, is older than Jordan Love. Kenny Pickett will be 24 in June. Jordan Love won't be 24 until November. That will play into the thinking of quarterbacks. He's still a very young individual and he's been in the league for two seasons already. You know, those things matter. Well, that's the thing. Jordan Love knows how to go to a meeting, what time to arrive, what key card to use. Like, that stuff matters. Teams will be like, they'll be sat in meetings going, we could go with Kenny Pickett, who stinks, or we could go with Jordan Love, who may stink, uh, but he knows what time to get to the meeting. It's 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 not that difficult. He's been a good professional for two years. Yeah, and he's been around other good professionals. Well, and Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, he's been around Randall Cobb. He's been around Adams, you know, who we all know is a, a great human being as well as, you know, he's been around David Bakhtiari. He's been around Billy Turner, guys that are leaders who are demand, you know, leadership, who demand things to happen in a certain way. So, you know, whoever brings in Jordan Love, you will certain that that part of the box element will absolutely be ticked. And he's 23. And he's 23. And he knows the right key card to use. And he knows the right key card. Uh, and they, I mean, he played in that what, what LaFleur and Rogers built over the last two years together, essentially. It, it is pretty special. I think it will go down. In when you do these breakdowns of these great offenses, for some reason it's not discussed quite in the same way as the greatest show on turf and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's just because raw points output or whatever people use to try and do those things, but if you're just going from a 
bird's eye X's and O's view. What they did was so off the wall and different to anyone else in the league and different to, uh, and radical compared to pretty much anything that's come before it, which was take all the good Mike McCarthy stuff and kind of systematize it so there was less chaos to what Rodgers was doing, building things from college that you would not normally expect to ask someone like Aaron Rodgers to do to the point where everyone else in the league is pinching from it. So Jordan Love has played in a thing where they could just go to him and say, pick your 10 favorite things from Green Bay. And we'll we'll bring what what we like, and we'll also add in ten things from Green Bay. And suddenly we are we have one of the most diverse offenses in the league too, with a guy who already knows exactly what he's doing. So he does bring this kind of intangible element that there's just no one else in the market could bring you. And that Green Bay offense was completely tailored to what he does. So you know, let's make no bones about it. Whatever you think about Rogers, he is arguably the greatest quarterback. Or he's the greatest throwing quarterback of all time you know in terms of pure talent in terms of what he's able to do his accuracy his off-platform ability um he is arguably the greatest throwing quarterback of all time tom brady's one more you know and would will go down as the greatest quarterback of all time but you know the jordan love what he had at utah state and what he bring brought brings to the nfl what he brings to teams is that you know processing something that aaron Rodgers is amazing at is not a jordan love strength you know there are elements of what Love does or doesn't do that just don't fit what Matt Lafleur does. You know the accuracy decreased hugely uh, in his final year at Utah State when he came into the season. You thought, okay, if he takes a step up, and he actually took a step back. You know the kind of see it, throw it element to his game that was there the year before he came out just wasn't there. He threw more interceptions. His accuracy was all over the place. He was throwing badly off platform in terms of sort of leaning back and off his back foot and those sorts of things. Lots of things that he does don't fit that offense and I think when you saw him in Kansas City he was playing that they're clearly not going to change that offense and the start and stylistically just for that one game but I think if you had to change um if Rodgers left and Love took over full-time I think there would be some fairly significant changes to how they work that offense just because the very nature of the guy that's doing it is the best of all time yeah if I can just drill down that quickly well one really nerd point they, they built this thing in Green Bay where all teams run kind of two concepts to one side of the field, right? And you'd usually have a couple of quick hitting concepts and you would you read the coverage pre-snap and say, I'm going left, I'm going right or whatever. In Green Bay, what they built was they built two concepts in the play. One with a quick hitting concept to one side and then a deeper breaking concept to the other side, right? Usually when you do that, you would read high to low. You would read the deep concept, try and take the top off the defense or you would come underneath right and hit the quick one. The Packers flipped it. So they would say, Rogers, if you like the coverage, take the quick one to the right. If not, as you work back to your left, now it's within the timing of the play. They were trying to take out kind of the tap dancing jazz artistry of, of Rogers, as we know, that, that second phase offense where he moves and creates. Instead of it being kind of off script, they try to systematize it so that as he moved away, it was breaking naturally. And so you could attack more through play design with Rogers moving and that ability to move to, to throw on the move no other team builds an offense that way so you're asking jordan love to learn a thing that was built for one player in human history because only one guy has ever played that way until you start getting patrick mahomes justin herbert and these guys and they had a, a coach who reimagined the way pro football was designed from a route concept so it was a it's an impossible situation for that young guy to go into to have to learn that from those two geniuses and then play behind that one and have all this whole thing clouding over where the moodiest man in the league doesn't like you for something you did not do, right? So I, I really do think that I was not a big fan of his coming out of college, but for a second round pick, third round pick, whatever it's going to wind up being, it's a real big market inefficiency now to have that guy walk into your building. And, and 
that's fa- it's fascinating what i mean it's going to be fascinating when we get into the nerd points and the nerd points are always allowed never apologize ollie Connolly. but it's what when tyler lockett came on the show it's what he told us about essentially the way that they dealt with that in seattle is almost having two separate sets of so you knew what your route was if the play was on time etc and then you had an area of the field that you were to head towards if Russell Wilson scrambled which he did more often than not and so it's like a it's a a way more advanced version of that and that's a lot to take in Mike McCarthy built that in Green Bay where he they called it second phase offense they were building a second route combination after the first one because they knew Rogers would take off. So, oh, we're running a levels concept, but when it breaks down, it becomes a flood. Okay, cool. So instead of it just being scrambled, drill, you know, high, low, medium, whatever, a specific concept. So if it could break down the coverage shell. What the floor did was say, okay, you do too much of that. Now we all remember that the end of the Rogers McCarthy era, it was just a mess. It devolved into just him running around. think he could do it on his own. Instead of it being a, no numbers, no timing-based play. It's still timed up. It's just the first time is the 2.2 seconds we're used to when we say a timing offense. The second time of of, uh, demarcation in the route concept is 4.5 seconds. So when he's moving, it's still within the flow of the overall offense. Just quickly, because we're on about 35 minutes with all the faff that we did after I hit record. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Let's uh, just touch on uh, on those quarterbacks in the draft because... I think the thing for me is, and this is, what, eight weeks removed, whatever we are at this point, six, seven weeks removed, I'm still hearing people say things like, oh, yeah, but the the quarterbacks in this draft are so weak that actually, like, the first one might not go until outside the top ten, then you won't get more than a couple in the first round. I just feel like with how many needy quarterback teams there are in the league, that even if these guys aren't the quality of prospects of previous drafts we're still going to end up seeing two or three go in the first half of the first round four to five in total it just I don't know I I struggle to see beyond that when I considered the way that drafts have gone in the past with similar there's not enough good quarterbacks in football so you know how can you not find 32 human beings who can do that job you just can't I mean look at some of the toilet that's out there I mean you know we've suffered through it since Dan Marino retired so I mean that's you know I, I but I mean that's just the that's just the bottom line. So teams will always, especially. I mean, this feels very much like 2013, that sort of EJ Manuel year in terms of, you know, teams sort of reaching for, for talent that might not be, um, might not be up to to scratch. And and you've you talked about it earlier on. We threw forward to to 2023 with the, you know, the Youngs and the Strouds, the Van Dykes and the Will Levis at Kentucky and people like that. And you know where we stand right now next year looks significantly better but you know lots of things can change and it may be that there's players in this this year's draft that you know scheme is so important you know scheme is the single to me it's and you know ollie will probably agree as a as a scheme complete scheme head um scheme to me is the single most important thing you know i remember when the dolphins drafted jamar fletcher out of wisconsin who'd won the thorpe award and was a zone corner and essentially they put him in a in a press co- in a press man defense with pat satan and and Sam Madison are two of the best press corners of their generation or of their era. And, you know, Fletcher just absolutely flamed out because it's just schematically just completely didn't work. And it was ludicrous to think that it would work. I always love this idea that people have of draft boards that literally that every team has all 300 players ranked and they just go, right, who's the 26th player on our board? It's like they've got... It's more like 50 who might fit what they do or should fit what they do or can be adapted. You know, zone, wide zone offences, for example, like the 49ers, like the Dolphins, are not going to be picking big, you know, gap power offensive linemen. That, you know, so to say best player available is literally not true. You know, you're not, that's not what's going to happen. But with quarterbacks, you know, 
college offenses now resemble, you know, or NFL offenses now resemble college offenses more than they ever did. So that's why guys like Malik Willis, it's why guys like Matt Corral can be talked about as first round picks, you know. Um, I mean, for me, uh, lots of people are not going to agree. And the, I think the X factor to me is the medical. But to me, Carson Strong is the best quarterback in this draft, you know, having watched subsequent, uh, significant amount of games of his. But when he was, he suffered a serious knee injury at a basketball camp in 2017 where 70% of the bone detached from his, uh, 70% of the muscle detached from the from his leg. And he's had three operations, including two last year. I'm not privy to the to the medical. You know, I spoke to a couple of scouts, had dinner with a couple of scouts in, in Mobile. And they hadn't heard at that point what the, the medical was in terms of the full picture and I think that's the I think the medical is bad enough that that's the reason why he's not being you know he's not being talked about because you know this strong aggressive arm great feet but that's a significant injury red flag you go and look at a guy like Malik Willis who kind of fits the modern he feels like the one that people are going to talk themselves into based on his traits sure but go back and look this is an Auburn transfer who struggled mightily in the SEC in fact he was essentially third string quarterback when he when he transferred to Liberty you know he turned and also had some sort of off-field issues, not, you know, just maturity and not, you know, he wasn't arrested, those sorts of things, but just a little bit immature. Went to Liberty. No he's, one turned up to his birthday party. No, exactly. He's small. He's raw. He's a dynamic playmaker that fits the NFL. He bails the pocket too quickly. Um, but the ease of his scheme, you know, people will talk him into or talk themselves into him because of the skill set, because of the arm strength, which is massive, because of the ability to break contain and make plays, to throw off platform. But this was an incredibly simple offence. I mean, an incredibly simple offence. And I hear people talking about the combine. I spoke to a scout, texted with a scout last night, and he said, you know, Willis was in a meeting with him and was really good. But it's one thing to have him really good on the board. It's another thing when bullets are flying and people are all around him to ask him to take over a, a much more difficult NFL scheme. When realistically at liberty he was being told where to throw what to do on almost every down and when he could you know when that first read wasn't there he was essentially breaking contain and trying to make yards with his feet so you know moving that into the nfl and saying go on malik you know take on a pittsburgh defense take on a 49ers defense take on you know that's not going to happen so i i think the learning curve is, you know, you're not going to draft malik willis and then play him early on and hope that there's going to be any sort of success unless he's you know using his legs as a throwing quarterback I just don't see how he's gonna defenses are so complex defensive coordinators are so intelligent in terms of how to, how to confuse look what Bill Belichick does to confuse young quarterbacks you know do you really think Bill do you really think Malik Willis is going to go to to Foxborough in week one as a Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback let's just say for argument's sake and rip up a Patriot rip up a Bill Belichick defense it's never going to happen but teams perpetually year after year talk themselves into these situations because they think all oh, right we can do this with him we can do that with him you know, realistically, Malik Willis is two and a half, three years away from being, a, in my opinion, from watching multiple games, talking to multiple people, uh, from being a proficient NFL quarterback. The tools are absolutely there. The traits are absolutely there. But it's one thing having the tools and throwing in shorts at the combine and sitting there on a whiteboard. It's a completely different matter when you get to the NFL. And, you know, like I said, bullets are flying. Ollie, I, I just, I, I think that all of them but Willis stink. Um, <laughs> That's what I came here for. You dancing around it over I'm, there. I'm titting around and all these straight <laughs> in. I think Willis is the only one with an A plus tree. And I'm just going through them saying 
this class, the, the offenses, I take what Sai says about the, the, the offenses being easy. All the offenses are terrible in this class. None of them play any kind of brand of expansive football with creative route combinations or reading full field reads. It's all half field. It's all dump and go. The thing with Willis, I, I get what you're saying about he wasn't able to sit, scan, you know, reset, stick, slide, climb, all the little um, notes that you would normally have as a scout and you go through and, and look for these certain things that would translate to the NFL. I mean, he's playing behind an offensive line that is full of guys who are like, just, yeah, I mean, they shouldn't be playing college football. Has, so at it, one point, he had zero star receivers, zero star running back and five zero star linemen. So I totally get that. So him calling his own number is all he could physically do on a whole bunch of plays. Uh, I, I just go through and say, who in the modern NFL now, every single defense is running a creeper pressure, a zone pressure, some kind of, of overloaded something on third down and typically getting a free rusher. They either have a dominant pass rusher or they're getting a free rush from a zone pressure. So you have to be able to avoid the rush. And there's just no one in this class who can do that like Malik Willis. So you get that, then you get the arm talent. Now, can he diagnose a defense and all that stuff? No, he cannot. Can any of the other guys? None of them have proven it so far. So you, 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 the bet here would be the guy who can make someone miss in space and has the best arm in the draft class. Now, Carson Strong probably has just as good an arm when he can climb into a throw, but he is just cement in the pocket. So you're, you're looking at a guy and saying, can he avoid the rush? No, he cannot. So I, the only other guy that I like of the lot of them is Desmond Ritter purely is a guy who processes really well, scans the field really quickly. There's an awful lot of Marcus Mariota at Oregon in the passing game where it's RPO plus West Coast concepts together. And it's really quick and just, you know, ripping down the field in 14, 15 yard increments. But he doesn't have the speed that the, the throwing motion is way more elongated. It's not as snappy as Mariota. And we've seen how that worked in the NFL anyway, right? It's not a guy you'd want to take in the first round at the end. Well, now we've got all the results and it's a guy you have to really tailor an offense to. You'd probably take him middle second, late second. Uh, now we have all the evidence on Marcus Mariota. So I, there's just not one guy there at all. I would be like, let's let's pin our franchise on this. The worst of the lot to me is is Kenny Pickett. I I just cannot fathom what people see with Kenny Pickett. There are some baller plays. There's the Georgia Tech game. I thought he played really well in that one. In the low red zone, he makes some really creative, cool off platform throws. But I have a I have a. Uh, a Rolodex eclipse that Will Gavin will love because I've put together this like eight minute clip file that I will be posting when I post my scat report on him. That is just him missing everything, right? He just, he, he doesn't read coverages in any way, right? It, it, the, when you are 35 years old or however old he is at this point, because he's played college for 20 years, you cannot not identify your own route combinations versus coverage. It's not hard in college. They're playing cover three. You're running levels. You got to know where the ball's going. He's played in the same offense for nine years. He's played the same coverages for 50 years, and he still doesn't know where to go with the ball when he hits the top of his drop. It's just not good enough to, to say, as I said, roll into the NFL, go play Bill Belichick on Thursday night, and good luck with that when everyone starts moving and they're banjoing the corners. It, it's just, it's, I don't know why people, as we get closer, want to talk themselves into this draft class. It's not a good draft class. A lot of these guys are just pretty good college quarterbacks. Ollie Connolly hates tiny hands. That's he what does. I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I could take Carson Strong and I could make a case for taking Sam Howell and the rest I could throw out pretty much. I mean, Willis has tools, but, you know, he, Willis frightens the life out of me. Do you know what I mean? If you're taking him in the first round, he frightens the life out of me because of, you know, 
I don't know. Just it's such a basic basic offense. No progression whatsoever. One read and go. I just you know. I don't. I don't blame that on him though. No, I, mean, I don't. That's just, I don't that's either, just but... what Hugh Freeze does. I mean, so much of the NFL now has become see it, rip it football. I mean, there's only I don't know 14 guys where they ask to be really true old fashioned quarterbacks, right? So much of Josh Allen's stuff is get to the line of scrimmage, pick the read out pick from two plays and by two plays i mean two routes stefan diggs or dawson knox and when you hit the top you drop throw the ball and if not move and create and uh, there's no reason why you could not run that thing with malik willis from day one and hope for the best the accuracy thing though really concerns me and i just you know josh allen is the absolute you know outlier it's an outlier that's the point you know i don't think a, a quarterback who's got iffy accuracy in college can come into the NFL and all of a sudden be a significantly more accurate quarterback and Josh Allen really is the only one that for me has been able to do it and I think he just needs to you know I look at he needs a better feel for throwing on time against man coverage and into specific windows against zone and he doesn't do it and he's inaccurate and and he gets away with it because he can make these great throws down the field or he can break contain and make yards with his feet I yeah I mean we'll see I mean we'll see how it plays out he's an interesting interesting player but I would he, he would fight the life out of me in the first round. There you go. It's the quarterback off-season. It's probably going to all be out of date in four or five days. So listen to it as soon as possible and let us know your thoughts at Gridiron on Twitter. Watch Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett become Hall of Famers. And just, <laughs> uh, you know, us, Ollie and I just, you know. Well, I, I didn't say anything negative, yeah. so it's fine. What you need to do now is say lots of positive things about them on video yeah. so that we don't release that, but we can later put it out there as exactly, if to say... Exactly, as if we say we yeah. knew all along. Oh, I picked the Rams and Bengals each about 15 different times on different shows during uh, Super Bowl week, so that at some point I could say, well, I was right. Kind of. I might take EJ Perry out of Brown before I took almost... I mean, I'm not even joking. Before I took almost all of them. So, oh, Christ. You know. uh, look, um, we want to make sure this show is like really focused on an idea every week, that we have something that we want to explore and get deep in. We've got guys like Ollie. You've heard it already on this show, if you're not familiar with him. A good, great X's and O's guy. Simon with his, his wealth and years of knowledge not an old dig, I promise. Uh, and uh, he's, he's not into the draft. There, yeah, already. It's already, it's day one, and we're already on it. Ollie, welcome to this, mate. It's like everywhere. <laughs> like, oh, you're already old. Um, and look, so we want to hear from you, at Gridiron on Twitter, at UK Gridiron on Instagram. Let us know your thoughts on the first show, what you thought of it, and anything that you'd like us to go in-depth on on a future show. You can subscribe at all the usual locations, anywhere that you find your podcasts. And also, you can find all the information out about the magazine uh, on our social media as well because it's a really really good first edition coming up already including an in-depth analysis of the last three plays of the Super Bowl and why Zach Taylor despite taking his team to a Super Bowl this early in his career is still a farce. Uh, Thank you so much for listening watching however you've consumed this this has been the Gridiron Show.